Hello, everyone, and welcome to LifeWealth's Pivot Podcast. Joining me on this episode is Jem Fuller, a corporate coach and facilitator who has worked with a number of Australia's largest companies and government departments, and whose book, The Art of Conscious Communication for Thoughtful Men, was recently published alongside his TEDx talk. Jem shares his story of working in senior management for one of Australia's largest 100 listed companies before having his life crumble around him, and then using these major events as the catalyst for long-lasting and positive change in his life. I hope you enjoy this chat with Jem as much as I did. Hi, Jem. Thanks for uh, joining me today. G'day, Jason. Thanks very much for having me on. In fact, when I say thanks for joining me today, I should be more saying thanks for having me in your home. Um, And in fact, maybe you explain to the people who are listening where we're sitting right now and what we're looking at. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for coming down to Belbray on the Great Ocean Road. Um, We are pretty blessed to be sitting where we're sitting, for me to be living here, actually. um, I'd like to say I own this 300-acre sheep farm, but I don't. (laughs) But I'm a very grateful uh, custodian of this land here. So we are, we're sitting on top of a hill, looking out over Torquay. We are on 300 acres. You can see the ocean. And Jace, as I showed you earlier, you can actually see the heads. So Queenscliff and Sorrento. And we're kind of looking from the outside of Port Phillip Bay into what then becomes Port Phillip Bay on the other side of those headlands. It's pretty spectacular, I've got to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm happy here. It's a really good view. So again, yeah, thank you for having thank you for having me in my home, in your home. I can say without a doubt, of all the places I've recorded the podcast in the last two, two and a half years, this is without a doubt the best of them. Ah, uh, nice. Okay, I'll take that. Very good. All right. So um Jim, uh I, I want to talk a little bit about firstly just how we came to meet and 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 just a really short part about that, and then we'll talk about where you are today and then we'll we'll really roll into the conversation from there. You happy with that? Yeah, sure. Beautiful. Um, so we were introduced, I had to go back and, and, and have a think about this. So we were introduced uh, five years ago by Mark Henry, who's a partner at LifeWealth. Yep. And in my mind, I'd always remember that as you were going to do some work with LifeWealth. But when I went back through my emails, I realized that wasn't originally the case. It was actually to do some work in the travel industry uh-huh. with your, uh, your, your tours and uh, your retreats that you run. And we were talking about whether we could do something together in travel. Yep. Um, which was, which was great. I remember being in our new office and I was talking to you sort of seven o'clock at night, I think it was. And um, I think there's no doubt we connected straight away, which was, which was really lovely. And I think that's partly about, you know, your love of travel and, um, you know, the experiences you've had over life. And uh, I guess, you know, I'm going to talk about this, but your natural, natural optimistic bent. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. My memory of, of the connection was Mark coming up to me and saying, I've got someone you have to meet. And I don't think he'd thought through it much more than that. Yeah. We were both in, a, in a, um, a business networking organization at the time. That's how we'd met. And he just said, you've just got to meet Jason. I went, okay, fine. I'll meet Jason. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was my memory of it. That's really good. I feel like that's how you and I would operate in life normally. Those two people have to find a way to get together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. And what's amazing about that, I remember getting off the phone call and thinking, in fact, we may have even said this. I'm not sure what we will do, but I'm quite confident we will do something. Yeah. Uh, and what's great about that is what we ended up doing is you came and did some work with LifeWealth. Um, and what came out of that was LifeWealth's mission. Uh-huh. Um, and, and you may or may not recall that, but I'll say to you that mission is so fundamental to who we are as a business. And, you know, predating me, it was like 20 years of history coming together in 
one statement about what our values are and what we want to do. Um, and that's, you know, it's on the wall at the office. We talk about it all the time and it underpins all the decisions we make. So the impact you made in a short period of time in our business was quite significant. Well, mate, you have just got the five gold star award as a client. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> that makes me so, so happy. You know, the work that I do with, with organizations and especially around creating culture and, and having some sort of macro framework of the culture, which is the language. And, the, you know, the North Star of that is the mission. Why are we mm. here? What is the purpose? And I'm, I'm really passionate about it because um, it, it's so important culturally for any organization and their success. So I'll go in and do workshops and, and coaching and, and similar stuff that I did with Life Wealth with some organizations and, um, you know, they get all rah, rah, and yeah, this is our mission, this is our purpose. And I don't know if I spoke to them five years later whether it was still, um, whether it had become embedded culturally into the language and mm. the conversations and the strategic planning and all the stuff it is for you. So five gold stars, well done. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing that you did really well, apart from guiding us, is you, you didn't take first answers. You kept drilling us and drilling us and drilling us. It was great because, you know, all the partners were involved in the process and it became the culmination of everyone's beliefs. And you, and you drove that really well. And we've, we've kind of shorthanded it now to peace of mind and happiness by understanding what matters most. Yep. Um, we talk about it all the time. I, we, we genuinely do. So awesome. thank you for that. Awesome. All right. So um, let's talk about you and, and, and this podcast. Now, uh, the podcast is called Pivot and it's about people making a conscious decision to change what they do in their lives. Yep. Um, I always like to start by talking about where you've got to. Uh-huh. Okay. And then we can roll back and understand what the pivot was. Sure. Now, I'm going to talk about where you've got to, but I'm going to talk about way back when you have described yourself in your book as a bohemian, bohemian anti-establishment bum. Yes. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty apt description of the way I led, you know, certainly the earlier chapters of my adult life. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to go through all the different jobs you've done because I feel like every time I read about you at all, everyone starts with that. And I thought, even though I really want to, I'm not going to do that. Great. I'll leave people to find that out for themselves. Great. But uh, Fire Twirler, I think, was in there. Yep. Yep. That's in there. Beautiful. So, so in the last six to 12 months, you've uh, released a TEDx talk. Yep. Yep. Uh, you, I mean, you've been building a successful business over the last five, six, seven years, but that's clearly taken off in the, in the last 12 months, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, it's fair to say. Look, I have, um, going into COVID, the first year of restrictions, and for those listeners who are not in Victoria, Australia, we've, we've Melbourne certainly, but also Victoria, Australia, I think we've had longest, most stringent restrictions globally, I think. Um, and in the first year of COVID, I found a way to double my business. And then in the second year of COVID, I'm set to double it again. Amazing. So yes, it's, um, I, I figured out how to make it work and how to be more relevant through this time. So people, you know, people could be forgiven for you know, meeting me now and going, wow, you're an overnight success. I'm like, yeah, that's a 50-year story. Yeah, of course. Um, and then running my own business for nine years now um, and lots of passion and lots of hard work and lots of dedication but yeah look i i i've I've got to a place now where uh, i before we started recording you and i were talking about if someone had to come up to us 10 years ago to the 10 year prior version of us and said hey in 10 years from now this is what your life's going to look like we would have been no way don't be silly you know um so to be sitting here now as a published author and tedx speaker and uh, my, my, I'm at capacity. My books are full. I'm, I'm a leadership coach. I work with the executive and C-suite level leaders across government, 
private and not-for-profit sectors. Um, my team and I are now branching out into the States. It's a much bigger market over there. And we're taking more and more stuff online. The online course, funny quick little story, um, just prior to COVID becoming even anything that we knew about, a client had asked me to build an online course in personal resilience. Mm-hmm. So I you know, went into my, my first kind of foray into this online world and I built an online course in personal resilience, launched it, and literally the next month COVID came. So this course in personal resilience over the last couple of years has now been accredited by the NDS, uh, endorsed by them. It's got critical acclaim, blah, blah, blah. So it's been doing, it's been helping a lot of people. Um, the timing of that was, was pretty amazing. So now we're branching out into the States. Um, there's, a, there's some really exciting stuff going on over there. We're looking at publishing deals and I've got representation over there now from a literary and speaking agency, um, which is very exciting. Mm. Uh, there's some, some, I've been doing a lot of podcasting <laughs> at the moment, doing a virtual tour. Um, yeah, so life's, life's amazing. My partner and I are going into a commercial premises here um, with her business and my business. That's exciting. Uh, the kids are growing up very quickly. My 18-year-old just got his driver's license today. Fantastic. Which is super cool. Uh, I've got an 18- and 16-year-old and my partner has a 15- and 13-year-old. So our life with teenagers is very full. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely stoked. I'll pick up something you said there as well. So um, your book was published uh, late last year, if I remember correctly, yeah. uh, Art of Communication for Thoughtful Men. Yep. We're definitely going to spend some time about that because I think it's so good to talk about what that book is. And, and as we, again, so much of what we were talking about before we came yep. onto the podcast. So many really valuable lessons in there. You know, you couple that with a TEDx talk, really great stuff, um, but also some great anecdotes about you, I think. Now, I did hear an anecdote about you. Uh-huh. Uh, so your book was published late last year. Tell us about the most amazing thing that's happened with your book since then oh, yeah. in the States. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my, I, I chose a publisher. Um, I, I did what's called hybrid publishing. So at, the, at either end of the scale of how do you publish a book, you can be fully published by a big publishing house um, and they pay for everything, but you've got to pay them back. It's hard to, hard to get a deal and it can take a long time. At the other end of this spectrum is fully self-published. You just do it all yourself. So that's immediate. There's nothing stopping you except for having the money to, to mm-hmm. do it. In the middle is hybrid. So you find a publisher, you pay them. If they want to take you on, you pay them to do it. And then they do all the, the nuts and bolts of it. So that's what I chose. I got put onto this amazing woman over in Perth, Karen McDermott. KMD Books is her, her publishing house. She's a super wonder woman, six kids, three businesses, you know, published author, award-winning author, Amazing. and da, 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 da. she's yeah. one of these incredible humans. Uh, so I was on the phone with with Karen one day, and she was she's Irish, and she's chatting a million more in there, and she tell me a bit this and that. Da, 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 da. She goes, oh, and by the way, your book's been selected to go into Harper and go into all the Oscar nominees, and so when that happens, then the next thing we'll do. I went, whoa, 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 Karen, hang on, Karen, what did you just you say? Buried the lead there, Karen. <laughs> yeah, what did you just say? She said, what? Which bit? And I said. The bit about the, the selection, of what is this hamper thing? And she said, yeah, your book's been selected to go into a gift hamper that's getting delivered to the Oscar nominees' homes, right? The week before the Oscars, mm. it gets delivered to their homes. It used to be, it's this thing called the Hollywood swag bag, uh-huh. right? And it used to get delivered to their hotel rooms. And then during COVID, they started delivering it to their homes. Now, you can imagine if a hamper got delivered to your hotel room and you're at the Oscars, 
you're not going to even notice the hamper, right? You'll come back from your party and you'll be throwing all your clothes into the bag and trying to get to your flight to get home. But that hamper gets delivered to their homes now. Right. Okay. Right, the week before the Oscars. Yep. So I've, I've got to tell you the whole story because it's funny, right? So I looked at all these Oscar nominees. I got the list. There was 30 of them. And we're talking about Steven Spielberg and we're mm-hmm. talking about, you know, Cumberbatch and we're talking about Jane Campion, our mm-hmm. Aussie hero and all of these people. And I pick Will Smith. This is a week before the Oscars. Yep. I pick Will Smith and I go, I mean, I don't know the guy. And I go, I reckon, I reckon... I'm going to manifest, I'm going to visualize Will reading my book, right? Now, the book is called The Art of Conscious Communication for Thoughtful Men, right? And so I'm, I do, I meditate every day and I'm sitting in my meditations after my meditation and I'm visualizing um, his wife, who I didn't even know who Jada Pinkett Smith was. I, mm-hmm. I don't follow Hollywood. I was just imagining, I knew he was married. I was just imagining his wife seeing this book on their dining room table seeing this book in the hamper and going oh baby you should read this book right and then him reading the book and then the oscars happened (laughs) and a mate of mine a mate of mine rang me the next day and he said jem the only thing that would have been better is if he slapped chris rock with a copy of your book yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) so anyway then i thought um oh bugger he's going to be in a world of pain right now and, and my heart goes out to him and to everyone um you know i you know i don't have any judgment Uh, But I was thinking he's going to be hiding away and he's probably not going to read my book now. And Talia, my partner, said to me, actually, um, I beg to differ. Mm -hmm. I think he'll be hiding away at home right now and then he will come across your book and go, oh, crap, I need to read this book. So my fingers are still crossed. Well, uh, it's it's an amazing story. I mean, like the Will Smith sort of uh, visualization is hilarious, (laughs) notwithstanding what happened. Yeah. Um, But it's nice to almost visualize that uh, he might be working through what I'm assuming would be a very large house, see it on a coffee table somewhere and go, actually, I do need to read yeah. that book. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, we're, indeed, indeed. Um, so, Jim, again, you know, one of the things that I, I guess we bonded over was just your natural optimism and, uh, you know, your your belief in the good of humanity and, uh, mm. you know, the opportunities that, that present uh, in life. Mm. Um, I think it's fair to say from conversations we've had and different things that I've seen, you know, it hasn't always been beer and Skittles in your life. Your life's definitely been um, touched by tragedy at different times. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I think, um, I don't know, everyone's life at some point in time is going to yeah. have these, these painful parts to it. And I feel very lucky that I was naturally optimistic. Now, that's luck. As mm. far as I can tell, I didn't pre-plan that. However, I have, you know, I coach a lot of people and, um, and spend a lot of time helping to guide people to an easier life and to, to accessing more flow. And even if you're naturally more negative, so if you naturally see the glass is half empty, um, the discipline of a positive perspective still gets you better results, right? So even if it needs to be a discipline, now that's easier for people like you and I because we're naturally optimistic. So yay, we got lucky. But that's not an excuse. It's not a, you can't, if you say, I'm naturally pessimistic or I'm naturally realistic or I'm naturally glass half empty, that's fine. Mm. But the discipline of a positive perspective still gets you better results. So I don't think there's any excuse. Mm. Um, And, you know, pain is inevitable. Mm. But the suffering that accompanies pain, the degree to which we suffer and the length of time that we suffer over, over the pain, that's optional. 
but that's optional. Mm-hmm. And the suffering exists in our minds, in our thinking, in the way we look at something. You know, if I wanted to still be suffering over the instant and tragic death of my little brother on his motorbike, I could very easily still be suffering over that. Mm. It was terrible, you know. And if I could wind back time, would I undo it? Of course I would. He was the most vibrant, wonderful, amazing human being, and I miss him like crazy mm. every single day. But am I, am I still suffering over his death? No, I'm not, because that's a choice on the way we choose to look at things. Mm. So I, and I, I think that that's exciting for me, you know, the, the fact that, I mean, when you think about it, your whole experience of existence is in your mind. I mean, I know you know this. Mm. Everything, every, every piece of data that we receive that informs us that we are a living conscious being in an environment around us with stuff going on, we receive all of this information in bits through our senses, and we represent these bits of information in our mind. Mm. Your whole experience of life is in your mind. So the quality of your mind matters, right? Now, this is exciting because we can curate the quality of our mind. I find that wonderful. Neuroplasticity and Mm. blah, 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 right? We can actually change our mind. And, and when we do this with volition, i.e. intentionally, and with some conscious awareness and some optimism, um, we can actually curate a, a pretty wonderful place inside here. You know? Which is amazing, you know, this, this sense that life is random. But hang on a sec. You can come at it a different way and say events may be random, yeah. but our experience of life may not be random. We get to choose how we want it to be. Love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, science and academia are clearly catching up on what has been the fundamentals of um, spirituality and particularly yeah. Eastern philosophy for a long period of time. Yeah. I, you know, just on that, I used to think mantras were, you know, just some kind of Eastern traditional woo-woo thing or, mm. or maybe a hippie thing. Let's just say the affirmations and blah, blah, blah. And I, I wish people on this podcast <laughs> could see what you're physically doing right now. <laughs> yeah. You've got both arms. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I, um, I, I, I've, been a, a skeptic you know I, I think a healthy reasonably healthy skeptic but you know I think back to my hippie days um, when I wasn't actually ideologically or, or spiritually a hippie I was just an anti-establishment individual I didn't want to be a part of the system yep. so I found myself sitting around fires with rainbow people um, all cooking meals together and living out in the bush in the backwaters of India. Mm. And they, they would sit around and we'd, and we'd cook a meal together. And then we'd sit the meal in front of us to eat and they'd want to give thanks, which is fine. I grew up in a Christian household. We yep. said thank you before every meal. I get that. But keep your thank you succinct. <laughs> These people are chanting and chanting and the food's getting cold. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is under guys come on you're singing kumbaya and the food's getting cold yeah. right so i figured out in this one rainbow circle that they'd be kind of holding hands like this i know your listeners can't see me right now but you imagine you're sitting in a big circle with a bunch of hippies holding hands and then organically and collectively and energetically the hands would rise up touching and then they would come into a prayer and they'd come down into a prayer and then we'd eat so I started to manipulate this. I'm sitting around, the food's getting cold. I'm pushing the hands up. I'm going, right, we're going to eat right now. Um, anyway, so that, I, I got onto that tangent thinking about how science is catching up with, you know, Eastern traditions and, mm. and things like this. And mantra, which is essentially just repeating a sentence over and over. And I love that the science is helping us to understand why that works and how that works now. Mm. So when you say something out loud, i.e., I am good enough. Mm. Even if you don't believe it, 
when you say it, the corresponding neurons have to fire together. Yep. You like reverse engineering. When neurons fire together repetitively, they wire together. We can actually create our own beliefs. Mm. We can become, we are our own self-fulfilling prophecy anyway, unconsciously, because our beliefs shape our experience of everything. But when you consciously decide, I think this would be a good belief to have, um, life can be easy, mm. or I am enough, yep. or I deserve all happiness and success, whatever it is for you, right? Mm. You choose a belief, and I've actually lived this. This came out of the pivot point in my life. And you run that out loud over and over and over and over and over and over again, high repetition for a long period of time, and it wires together. You start to believe your own hype. Mm. And then when you believe that you're enough, it's amazing how your perception of the outside world changes. I don't know if this is in your book, because it, it's a famous it's a famous sort of um, uh, saying, if you like, about the two wolves. Is that in your book? Or no, it, no. So the idea about the two wolves, uh, there's it, it, basically there's the wolf that is anger and unhappiness and there's a wolf that is happiness and positivity and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and the one that gets to live is the one that you feed. Yeah. Yeah, I love, I, I really yeah. love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I must circle back to the idea of keep your thank you succinct to uh, some <laughs> people sitting around doing kumbayas. I, I find that quite funny. Um, okay, so, you know, the science and all those sorts of things, we'll get to that in a moment because, you know, that is sort of post-pivot for you or yeah. almost part of the pivot. Part of it, yeah. Um, look, the reason I, I just want to touch on the the natural optimism, but, but you know, some of the tragic elements in your life is, is how that framed your pivot. Mm. Um, because I think it's really important to understand where you were at mm. in the months, years leading up to making the definitive change that I am going to go and do these things that have now led to the TEDx and the books and the international um, business and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You were working for a, sort of a, a major Australian company. They may even be international now. Um, tell, us, tell us about the period of time leading up to when you said, I am going to make a pivot in my life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was working for a, a multinational travel company uh, I, I'd ended up working for, I started working for them because I'd been a travel bum around the world for more than a decade and then when I became a father I, I was like wow I've got to find a way to feed these kids mm -hmm. and I didn't have any qualifications and hadn't been to uni and didn't really know what I wanted to do so I got with I got a job with a travel company because I love travel and had a reasonably successful eight years with them the last three years of that were in senior leadership you know, 150 staff and, and a division of the business that I'd bought into that was turning over, you know, 100 million turnover a year or whatever. So lots of zeros and numbers yes. and, and the normal standard corporate pressure to grow net profit growth month on month, and not even quarter on quarter, month on month. And, and what that does to an individual and to teams and to organizations, what that incessant drive for net profit growth does to you. What it did to me anyway was that I moved well away from my values. Um, I was drinking way too much booze. I was working way too many hours, but partying just as hard. I had a couple of young kids. I've always been very paternal. So I wanted to be changing the nappies. I wanted to be bathing them. I wanted to be hands-on. Um, but I was distracted because I had a $100 million business that that if I didn't keep growing, I was going to lose everything. I'm doing inverted commas here for the people listening. Lose everything because you lose your job or whatever. 
which funnily enough is what ended up happening. But I was pretending to be happy, you know, and I had the white picket fence and we, we built our house down in Aries Inlet. And in the meantime, my marriage had been going south as well. And what I didn't know through these last years in the corporate world was that in the background, there was a subconscious belief that I wasn't good enough. And I didn't know that that was there, but that was there. And because I didn't believe I was good enough, I was sabotaging any success. Um, you know, I played my part. It's 50-50 in any relationship, but I certainly played my part in sabotaging my marriage because I didn't believe I deserved the happiness. Um, all of this stuff was going on and I was miserable. And, and it actually, you know, I don't, I don't mind sharing this now. I've, I've written articles on this, hoping that it will help other men. But I put all of my self-loathing, self-doubt, and anxiety into one place, which was sexual intimacy, you know, and that ended up manifesting in complete dysfunction, um, sexual dysfunction. And that was terribly painful. And the suffering that came with that was, um, it was horrible. And because there was so much shame, men don't talk about this stuff. So I kept this secret torture to myself under many thick blankets of shame for years. No one knew, my wife knew, because we couldn't make love properly. No one else knew. Mm. And I pretended I was okay. Anyway, so you combine the, the job that was um, not in alignment with who I really am. I mean, when I first got this job and put on a shirt and tie, my friends went, you what? You're putting on a tie? They laughed at me. So I wore a tie for eight years. That was weird. But the job that wasn't right, the marriage that had gone too far south, the self-deprecation, um, so the relationship with self was not very good. Then the timing thing happened where the senior leadership um, team at the, the company that I worked at, we employed an external coach to come in and run a weekend retreat for us, for the senior leaders. And he was essentially a coach. And he came in and he's a human behavioral expert, um, NLP master, all this kind of stuff. And he came in and he just it blew me away what he did. Just completely blew me away. I loved it. And I said to him on one of the lunch breaks, and this guy now is a friend of mine, mm -hmm. you know, he's been a mentor for 10 years and he's now a friend. I said, what do you do for a job? What do you do? He said this, I cruise around doing this. I said, I am blown away by this stuff. It's like magic, this understanding of human behavior and how you can help people with it. Um, and I said, look, I'm, I'm in the middle of building a house. And, um, and so I'm pretty financially committed at the moment. I'm earning a fair bit of money here. Um, just so that I can know whether this is a viable pathway for me or not. Do you mind if I ask how much you earn? And he told me how much he earned and my jaw dropped. And I was like, wow, half of that will be fine, right? He was earning a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and so then I, I decided this is what I want to do. Not yet. I was um, off, off the record. I was the succession plan for the state manager role. Uh, that's what I'd been told by the current state manager. I managed to sabotage that. <laughs> well done. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but I, I, so that role was in my thinking, professional career development. I was thinking I was going to run Victoria. And so that was in my mind. I went home to my then wife and said, I'm going to get this state manager role and then I'm going to leave after some time and I'm going to start my own coaching practice. I'm in love with this coaching thing. And she went, oh, okay, you know, whatever. So that happened. That was in the... October and then in the November I was sitting in a North American Indian sweat lodge I don't know if your listeners know what this is right but this is um, a group of men I've been sitting in men's circle for a long time we sit around a fire we talk about important themes 
no booze, no pot, just sitting, drinking water and talking about important stuff. Men's circle. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we, we did a sweat lodge, which is a North American Indian traditional practice. It's basically like a sauna, but you make it out of blankets and sticks and you bring hot rocks in. I had an out-of-body experience in this sweat lodge. Right? I won't go into the whole detail of it, but out-of-body experience. This is important to the pivot this night because this was the catalyst really combined with meeting this coach and a few other things. This was the catalyst for my midlife I call it a midlife awakening. Mm-hmm. A lot of people call it a midlife crisis. I was f- 42. Um, and in this out-of-body experience, I realized for the first time, wow, I've been running this belief that I'm not good enough, that I'm not enough, right? Which is the stem of the imposter syndrome. It's the stem of people sabotaging their own success. And it's, it's apparently now I know is very common for mm-hmm. humans. I didn't know this at the time. I thought it was just me. Um, and so I had this experience and then had a pro- very prophetic dream that night um, and realized that I need to change this. I didn't know anything about neuroplasticity. I didn't know anything about mantras or affirmations or how to do this work. I didn't know. So I just went on a mission to look for books, you know, and I was reading Joe Dispenza and all The Secret and these types of books. Sure. But I was more interested in the ones that had some scientific background to them because that helped me cognitively get it and I went to work on myself so I started that happened in the November in the January I lost my job I got turfed very unceremoniously well actually there was some ceremony I got marched out of the building I got accused of a whole bunch of stuff that I hadn't done Uh, that was a bit of a witch hunt from below me and and above anyway it was quite a quite an experience Um, to not even after eight years to not even be able to say goodbye to people that I'd been working closely with for eight years or anything I just got marched I got a small handshake um, and I took that handshake and I said right I'm going to go invest in coaching and become a qualified coach I want to understand NLP neuro-linguistic programming I want to understand human behavioral profiling so I went and invested in all that stuff People said to me at the time, Jem, um, you're building a house, dude, in Aries Inlet, and you're pretty financially committed. Go and get another job. I said, no, no, I'm doing this. I'm going to make this work. I was so committed to making it work that I had to lose the house, sold the house, um, had to end the marriage, lost my marriage, um, gave my ex all of the belongings because I didn't want to fight, and I was kind of used to having nothing anyway. Kept my two boys, my two kids, 50-50. So I had my two kids, 50-50, one surfboard, one guitar. That's it. And $100,000 worth of debt. Mm-hmm. And people said, you're crazy. Go get a job. I said, no. No, no, no. This is the pivot. I didn't know it was a pivot at the time. This, is the, this, is, this has to happen now. And so I threw myself in, both feet, jumped in the deep end and just through necessity. I was cleaning toilets at the time to pay the bills. Right. Um, and yeah, that was nine years ago and I've worked really hard, (laughs) really hard, but I, am passionate about what I do and I love what I do. So it doesn't feel like work. It's more like a vocation. Um, yeah, that was the pivot. So, so talk through, I'm sure you remember, I'm sure it's all pretty visceral for you thinking back to that period of time, nine years ago during the pivot, Mm. you know, your world by some measures is crashing down around you. Everything you've known to be normality is crashing down around you. You are making the decision that you're going to learn how your mind works and how you react to it and how you can do that with other people. Yeah. 
how how did you stay true to that? How were you thinking at that time? Because you hadn't done the work yet to understand yeah. the things you would have needed to hold on to help you through that period of time. How, yeah. how were you dealing with that time? How were you thinking clearly through that? Yeah, I was only ever, you know, one step, one step ahead of the game in terms of how I was helping people. Like I was helping people with stuff that I'd just figured out the week before. That took some guts. That you know? does take some guts. I, I, Talk about imposter syndrome. Yeah, right. Um, and th- then again, having, having said that, um, you know, I, I had up until 42, I had packed a lot into my life, you know, I packed a lot in, like we alluded mm-hmm. to before. And so I, and you know, and I, and I've got a reasonably good head on my shoulders. So in terms of offering some kind of perspective to clients that would be able to help them, I felt pretty good about that, you know, um, but I was finding my way. I remember I'd be driving to a workshop. I used to just do free workshops for people and I'd be driving to a workshop um, and I'd be listening to something, listening to a book or a podcast on the way and I'd hear something in the podcast and go, oh my God, that's awesome. I'd get to the workshop and I'd deliver what I'd just heard on the mm. way to the workshop. That's how immediate it used to be back in those early days. And at the same time, while I was doing this, I was practicing what I was preaching, so to speak, in inverted commas. I was on high repetition every day. And I mean hundreds of times a day saying, I am enough. I'm enough. I'm good enough just the way I am. I'm good enough just the way I am. And it took, it took a while for this neural wiring that I was talking about before, for that to actually start to embed and take place for me. But over this course of a year, so I had the pivot, the midlife crisis, lost everything, started my, did my coaching training, which I fast-tracked through in a few months, started my coaching business that July, 1 July. And all through this time, through that first year, I was on high repeat convincing myself that I was good enough. And it started to work and I started to believe it. And then it was amazing because once I started to believe I was good enough, things started to show up for me. You know, my beautiful amazing partner we've got the most conscious relationship and i know other people would say the same thing about theirs that's great from my perspective this is the most conscious relationship i could ever imagine it's stunning Mm. and this woman um, my partner believes that i'm it and a bit everything about me she just absolutely adores that happened after i had convinced myself i was enough not before she didn't show up and then I went, oh, well, I must be enough because this woman loves me. No, no, no. I believed I was good enough first. Then she showed up. Which by the way would be obviously uh, the definition of unhealthy if it was the other way around. Right. Anyway, so, yeah. right. So, so I was very much um, practicing what I was helping people with as well. You know? And so this story has become a part of the cornerstone of my integrity and, and the authenticity that people feel from me when I'm working with them. You know, and then in 2014, I was at the Global Mindful Leader Forum in Sydney uh, and a guy came onto stage and there was a couple of things he said that really landed with me. And one of them was he was a meditation teacher. It was a big conference and he, he was an amazing man. But one of the things he said was, know the work. He was talking about meditation, but do the work. And it was just the right time for me to hear that because I went, Wow. I, I think meditation is a healthy mind development training that, that would help anyone who does it. And I'm even suggesting to clients that they should meditate, but I don't have a proper practice. So in 2014, I decided to create a, a habitual practice of meditation, which I've successfully done, and I meditate pretty much every day, half an hour in the morning. So the reason I bring that up is that 
through over the last nine years of developing practices that I'm then going and prescribing to clients. It's not something that I've just read in a book saying you should go do this. It's stuff that I live. Yeah. And I think that authenticity um, has helped um, people trust me. Yeah. Which is great. And and something to really feel proud of yourself about. Yeah. You? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just before I go on to the next thing off the back of that, I, I just want to uh, indulge me for a second yeah. about imposter syndrome. Yeah. I'm sitting here. I can't for the life remember whose book this was in. Um, but it was a relatively famous author. Um, and he was talking about imposter syndrome. And he tells a story of being at a conference in Vegas, I think. Uh, it, was a, it was a conference for high performers, people who have achieved great things in their life. It was just full of really famous people. And he was staying at the back of the room because he felt really out of his depth. Uh, and he looked at the person next to him and the person next to him said, I'm not really sure I belong here. I, I don't really feel like I'm part of this group of people. Yeah. Uh, uh, and the author said, but you're like one of the most famous people in the world and you did something incredible. And he goes, yeah, but I was just following orders. Like I had my training, I just followed orders. Uh, and the author goes, yes, but you're Neil Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Neil Armstrong's got imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving on. One of the things I, I, I really want to sense from you, and I, I actually don't think we've talked about this before, but you've, you've had your corporate background. So Bohemian Bum, mm. corporate background. Yep. Going through this awakening, pivot, whatever you want to call it. You know, it's mindfulness and it's all those sorts of things that once upon a time in the corporate life in, a, in the Western world would have just been just treated with, you know, yeah, disrespect almost. Yeah, yeah. But clearly that has changed in corporate life now. Mm. How did you go, like, how did you feel wedding those two things together? So you had your own imposter syndrome that you were getting through. So you're yeah. learning it from yourself, yeah. for yourself, working on yourself at the same time, yeah. and then taking what you were learning and put it into the corporate environment, into some pretty significant government departments, yeah. financial planning firms like ours, et cetera, et cetera. How did yeah. you reconcile those two things to, to get to where it is today? Yeah. Um, look, I... I, I I understood reasonably early on that one of um, one of the parts that I could play quite well was to be the bridge between these two worlds. You know, my ability to be able to communicate concepts and philosophies into practical, implementable strategies. Whether you're wearing a suit and tie or whether you're wearing a leotard, doesn't matter, right? And my ability to be able to communicate these things is something that I can do. So that, that, was, that was that. And, you know, I mean, I, I came into the corporate world already heavily tattooed with stretched ears and, you know, and that life behind me. And, and then I think also, Jace, um, pretty early on in, in starting my business, I, I formed a company for the overseas retreats things. That was more of a, um, you know, a, a legal logistical idea. But then pretty early on, I realized that I needed to be my own brand. So rather than hiding behind the brand of a company that I'd formed, I needed to just step out in front of it and just be Gem Fuller. And for anyone who, um, who is their own brand, it's, it takes a lot of work, a lot of self-development, self-acceptance work, because you are very literally putting you, you out there as the business. So if someone's not happy with the business, um, pretty hard to not take it personally. But possible, possible. So this has been another big part of my own work through this last chapter of my life is this learning how to not take things personally, learning about radical self-acceptance, 
that I'm exactly who I'm supposed to be right now, apparently, because here I am, right? And the liberation from um, suffering, the liberation from um, holding ourselves back, the liberation from imposter syndrome that comes from the knowing that you are exactly who you're supposed to be in this moment right here, right now, and that everything that happened in my past should have. Why? Because it did. So apparently should have. All the stuff that I hoped to not repeat, all the mistakes I made should have happened. All of the times when someone was terrible to me, they should have been. Why? Because they were. Mm. When my dad lost his temper and beat me up when I was six years old, he should have. Was it nice? Was it kind? No. Was it functional? No. He lost his shit. But he should have. Why? Because he did. Right? And so this, this conceptual reasoning can become an absolute grokking. Grok, I don't know if you've heard the word grok. Right. So it comes from a, a, a book anyway. I won't diverge. Grok essentially means, when you grok something, it means that you know it on every level. Intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, physiologically, you just know it. So this concept of, well, everything that happened should have happened. Why? Because it did. So therefore, everything that's happened in my life should have happened. Why? Because it did. So therefore, I'm sitting here right now and I'm the perfectly imperfect version of me right now. Why? Because here I am, right? So I'm not going to argue with reality. Reality wins only 100% of the time. Yeah. Right? So I'm not going to argue with that. But that concept can become a living, breathing, dare I say, vibrational way of resonating of experiencing existence when it becomes a practice you know you don't get good at yoga and tick the box and stop doing yoga or pilates only works if you're doing it right so to meditation only works if you keep doing it it's a practice so to keep practicing this radical self-acceptance and i do i look at myself in the mirror regularly and remind myself, Jem, you're exactly who you're supposed to be and you're good enough and you deserve everything you create. Mm. I say that to myself all the time mm. and I will continue until the day I'm not here anymore. Yep. <laughs> you know, I, I can't remember exactly how we got onto that tangent. But... I'm not sure either, but I'll tell you what, <laughs> I think that helps me get back to, to somewhere else. Um, in fact, I do remember the connection between what you were learning, what you're experiencing. Uh-huh that really wasn't being seen in the corporate environment. But, but That's right. You know, your timing, fantastic, because you've been, right. you've been living that and loving it and passionate yeah. about it. Can I just add to that a little bit, Jace, because um, this might help people who are listening. I would do what I used to call Trojan horse. So I would go to, I'd present to a corporate um, and, and I would present to them around, I'm going to help you build the language of the culture of your organization, mission, vision, and values. And then I'm going to help you design strategies to implement into your processes so that you strengthen the culture of your business. And we'll do some leadership coaching with this behavioral profiling tool, blah, blah, blah. And this is what it'll cost you. And organizations like LifeWealth would go, well, not, actually not you, because you and I connected together. That's why I worked with you. But other organizations and government departments would go, oh, yes, that, that seems palatable. They'd engage me. Once I got in the door, I'd climb out of the Trojan horse and do this really, really, I believe, way more important development work, which is not professional development, it's personal development. And I call it personal development for professionals. But I'm not here to, to help you on the tools. I don't know how you run your government department. I don't know how you run your physiotherapy business. I don't know how you run your engineering firm. But I do know that you're the common denominator in all this, every role you play in your life 
the common denominator is you and your ability on the tools is capped by your ability as a person to function, to deal with conflict, to deal with um, pain, to deal with emotions, to deal with the, the tough stuff, to have clarity, to have vision, to be able to communicate with the people around you that you need to collaborate with, right? All of these functionals, functionalities, all of these capabilities, you're capped by your ability in those. So let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Let's work on that. And so once you want, and you know, and then over the years to begin with, people are like, who is this guy? And it's just, it's just doing good work over a period of time. And now the phone rings and I don't have to go looking for work. Mm. People call up and say, hey, Jem, we've been told we need you into our organization. And that, that's really apparent about, for example, what's <laughs> opening up for you in the States and, mm. and running courses over there at a really high end. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the feedback you're bringing, getting over there and the promotion to say you need to be over here. Yeah. Um, it shows where that value is. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah, living it, um, you know, working it out as you go along and, and quite often only knowing where you, the very next step is and not knowing where the steps after that are, hmm. you know, but just having, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, you know, taking that leap of faith off the cliff because yeah. you can't fly unless you fall first, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff, which yeah. is true. Yeah. Um, so out of that, you know, uh, so, you, so you, your, your books around conscious communication, we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, your TEDx talk, there were some, some things I took out of the TEDx talk that I loved for a couple of reasons. One, because I, you know, I'm just a massive believer in the value of communication. I think it's kind of everything in business. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, you know, there's three things I took from you uh, around that, that for me are fundamental to what we do as a financial planning firm and accounting firm. But I think they are to a lot of businesses. Yeah. Um, open-mindedness matters. Yeah consideration matters which is something i'm very passionate about yeah um and teaching the next generation matters mm. they're, they're critical to what we do in 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 financial services yeah do, do you want to touch on those for a moment so open-mindedness matters consideration matters teaching the next generation matters yeah absolutely um we are by nature us humans as a species we are by nature closed-minded mm-hmm. yeah and and necessarily so i guess throughout the period of of um, our evolution uh, to the point where things that things occur like confirmation bias so you have an idea around something and even when you're presented with facts that undo your idea we double down on our original idea even after being shown that it's not true american politics of the last 10 years in particular <laughs> right so so we i find that quite fascinating and our sense of identity our ego who we think we are which which also must be a necessary um, function of being a human because it, we've, it, we've got it, we've evolved with it, and it's very fear fueled and necessarily defensive. We identify with our ideas. We identify with our emotions. You know, when 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 you're experiencing the emotional state of anger, we say, "I am angry." We've identified with that, right? And we defend our sense of identity above and beyond all else. We identify with, like I said, our ideas, our politic, you know. And so that's when you, you can have two people who um, have a different political opinion. And after a couple of glasses of wine, they fight over it and they can lose the friendship over that. Yep. Why lose a friendship over a different, different political opinion? Because they've identified with that politic. Mm. So it's their sense of identity that, that feels attacked. And, and the human condition I've always <clears throat> believed is we're all trying to be connected to something. Yeah. Ideas, right. groups, 
locations, we naturally look for identity because that's where protection comes yeah. uh, genetically from when we were cavemen. Yeah, right, exactly. So this, this idea of open-mindedness matters because if communication, and, and you know, you've seen the TEDx talk, the word communication comes from the Latin noun communicatio, which means a sharing, and the Latin verb communicare, which means um, to make common. Right? And communication is completely essential to our survival as a species. We wouldn't have made it off the savannah plains if we couldn't socialize and communicate with each other to work together. So we need communication. Like you said, communication is a sharing to make common an understanding. Now, if I'm closed-minded into my ideas and I'm defensive over the way I see things, which we all are naturally, then how can I connect with you when you've got a different idea? I can't. So connection can only happen when we relax our grip on the way we think things should be. Just loosen our grip. Open-mindedness is a discipline, right? I remember I read somewhere or heard in a podcast somewhere this idea, and I've been trying this. It's really interesting. When you see a piece of news, right, either in social media or on the telly or you see a piece of news, notice how you've got an opinion instantly. Mm. Instantly you've got an opinion. Notice that moment. Pause. Take a breath and go, I wonder what other opinions might be possible yeah because there's a lot of them yeah right so this open-mindedness i think matters consideration uh, consideration it's got to matter me being considerate of you has got to matter you know again like how how on earth can i think that my way is the only way or that my way is better or worse how can i think i'm better or worse than anyone else i can't be you know we're all we're all here, you know, we're born, we, we live, we die. We're all trying to figure it out. Um, and so if I'm not open to considering you or your ideas or anybody else for that matter, uh, then I'm kind of living in this false, um, this illusion mm. that I'm the center of the universe. You know, so anyway, I think that, that consideration... Solipsism, yeah. Yeah, right. Mm. You know, and then teaching the next generation... Um, I, I'm an eternal optimist. I believe that um, having said I am an optimist, but I don't think the human race is going to be around forever. That would be silly to think that we weren't here the other day yep. in the grand scheme of things. We've only been here for a blink and we're doing a pretty good job of messing everything up, you know, but we're messing it up for ourselves. I, I really believe that when humans aren't around anymore, maybe we've kind of created some AI thing that lives beyond us or not. Who knows? That's interesting. But in in this current form we're not going to be here forever forever and i think the earth will actually recover beautifully once we're gone the earth will take a breath and go oh <laughs> that was a pretty full-on parasite yeah, yeah. um you know so teaching the next generation yes yes i think that we won't be here forever and who knows when that'll be it might even be only 20 or 30 years away but in the meantime while i am here as a father and a teacher while I am here, I'm going to do everything I can to try and better prepare the next generation, to try and do my part in evolution, mm. right? Evolution happens. And if we, can, if we can engage consciously in what we think is a positive evolution, i.e. we're improving, we're getting better at things, um, then I think that's important. You know, you're a father, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, yep. no, I, 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 that really resonated. Those three things really resonated with me. Um, 
you, you were talking about, uh, you know, we instantaneously make decisions and, and have opinions. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a whole book about that. It's like 250 pages just talking about, no, you've made the decision in less than a second. Yeah. And you're spending the rest of your time rationalizing that yeah. through your studies and your learning. You actually made the decision in the first second. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing yeah. Concept. Interesting. Um, now, Gemma, I promised myself coming into this that, uh, like most people, I could happily sit here and talk to you for the next five or six hours, yeah. but I think we probably should do that off the podcast because yeah. I'm not sure yeah. everyone wants to listen to a five or six hour podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, there is so much about you uh, that's that's out in the world now. Um, uh, you know, there's been a lot of podcasts you've been doing lately, which is great, which has been in support of your book and your, and your TEDx talk. Where would people go to get more information about your retreats? Um Buy the book if they want to, TEDx talk, et cetera, et cetera. Where would they go? Just go to gemfuller.com. Yep. That's with a J. J-E-M-F-E-L-L-E-R.com. Yep. So you can get the book there. You can see the TEDx talk there. You can find out, find out about our international retreats, which are going to start running again next year, I can happily say. So the Himalaya one, which is the, the flagship conscious leadership retreat that we run. Super passionate about that. And then there's one... Uh, that we run a five-star version. The, the Himalaya retreat is um, off the beaten track, shall we say, rough and ready, but but life-enhancing. And then the Bali one's a five-star in a villa spa treatment version. Yeah. Um, so they'll be happening again next year. That's on the website. Um, yeah, I, I guess the website's a good place to go. If you're on LinkedIn and you want to, um, you know, I, I, I write a lot of stuff, I share a lot of stuff. So LinkedIn, Instagram, um, <laughs> kind of begrudgingly back in the Facebook world again. I don't use any of these platforms um, to communicate with my friends or to socialize. So if you're wanting to reach out to me as a friend, don't do it through these platforms. Yeah. Uh, it's all work, but I do share a lot of content on them. So um, I'm, I'm loath to say this because I just said we're going to finish this podcast. Uh, but uh, you're talking about the Himalaya. I think back to the very first conversation we had five years ago, that may have actually been where we connected around uh -huh. the Himalaya because for those who haven't been to Himalaya, you genuinely could sit here for 10 hours talking about yeah. what it's like to be near those mountains. Yeah, 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 yeah. To be nestled in them, it's it's mind-blowing. It, for me, it's always this, there's this, this one thing, you know, you think about, you know, you've grown up in Australia and, you know, mountains are a certain size, hills are a certain size, and you look to the horizon, you see the hills, and no matter how long you've been in northern India or Nepal or Bhutan or Tibet, you look to the horizon and you think, oh, there's the mountains. Oh, I can't see them. And then you realize they're another sort of 45 degrees taller than where you're looking. On yeah, the yeah, yeah. It's just an extraordinary thing, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, magical. Very good. So, so Jam, look, thanks so much for today. Thanks, one, for having me in your home. Thanks for taking the time because I know just how much you've got on at the moment with everything that's opening up uh, for you and, and your business. So thank you for that. Thank you for the work you did in our business five years ago and helping us get our message from so many disparate thoughts all about helping people into a really condensed message that helped us share that with our people um, mm. so that, you know, it was sort of the touchstone for us to keep running our business uh, by. Yeah, you're thank welcome. Thank you for today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for coming down to Belbray. No worries. You have to kick me out now. <laughs> all right, Jase. Thanks, Jim. Thanks. Cheers, mate.